All right, everybody, welcome. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor, and I have read the book. And I have not. <laughs> this week, real quick, we've got an announcement. Illiterate at email.com. That's where you're going to have funny photos, more articles, giveaways even. But you got to get on that list if you're going to know about all of those things. Just send your name to illiterate at email.com. You'll be signed up every Friday. Those goodies are coming your way. So hit up that email. Let us know what you think. If you clicked on it, you already know, this week is Watchmen, The Illustrious Watchmen by DC Comics. It was published in 1986 and 1987, written by Alan Moore and David Gibbons. Uh, immediately was thrown into, you know, being adapted uh, right off the bat, 1986. Terry Gilliam was involved for, like, something close to a decade, and it just squandered in development hell until mid-2000s. Hmm. Uh, and then the 2009 Zack Snyder film was released, which then brought it way back into the popular eye and it was called unfilmable at one point which is kind of a tall <laughs> tall order for any right. you know any narrative so that's the basic of it but you know this is something that i've never read all the way through i came into contact with it around the film in 2009 i enjoyed the film at the time but it was confusing uh so i i picked up the novel and read the third act and, and wanted to see specifically what the differences right. were there. But I haven't read the whole thing. I have read the whole yeah. thing through. So that's right. what we're going to be doing today. I'm really excited. I, I really love this story and, and what it means to this medium. So let's get into it. Yeah. Like you said, it came out in 1986. It was a 12-issue miniseries. Alan Moore is the writer. Dave Gibbons is the illustrator. So Alan Moore is the, the sole Moore, writer. Alan Moore wrote it, yeah. sent the scripts wow. to Dave Gibbons and said, draw this. Okay. They're quoted as their goal was to create the superhero Moby Dick. Uh -huh. So to make it very literary. I mean, that was tight that they accomplished <laughs> that. It's in Time's top 100 novels ever written. Yeah. I, I, that's the only graphic novel on that list. So it's a it's a... A major, major thing. There's been a shift in that thinking over the last, you know, I think, you know, 20 years, definitely the last decade of, of these things being considered literature. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to remember the context in which this comes out, because that where now is kind of the standard where the Dark Knight, the Nolan films have kind of mm -hmm. changed the way that these stories are told and seeing, you know, bringing the the Watchmen grit to the big screen in a way that says, like, we can really get into this kind of stuff. It's yeah, important to note that that when Watchmen came out, that was not the case. There was not a lot of, of these, like, uh, counterculture graphic novels. Like, that did not exist in the medium. Everything before that was bright, shiny superheroes in colorful costumes, saving the world, infallible. But this was the first time yeah. that that was done. Moving on, uh, just give us a, a brief rundown of, of this plot, Taylor. The briefest. This is set in an alternate history oh, after... those alternate timelines. Alternate. Kind of the same. Superheroes exist. Although in this story, there's only one character that is actually super-powered, which is Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. But we definitively win the Vietnam War, just crush because of him and... Nixon gets elected for a third term. Nobody finds out about Watergate. It's very much the Cold War. The Soviets are a huge problem. That's kind of the backdrop of this. The book came out in 86. Can't relate to any of that. <laughs> right. Not topical at all anymore. <laughs> We're really out there. World conflict. For Alan Moore. <laughs> so, superheroes. Rorschach starts it out 
he figures out he's one of the superheroes or just more vigilantes because, mm-hmm. like I said, they're not super powered. He figures out there's an old superhero called the Comedian that's been murdered. He thinks there's a mass killer out there. Something's going on. All the old heroes are done for because of this thing in Congress called the Keen Act where you can't be a superhero anymore except for Dr. Manhattan who was from a crazy science experiment became this all-powered being who can teleport and change things and sees time as one dimension, all this nonsense. And then the comedian... Manhattan Project. Yeah, that's what it was named after. So the comedian is the other one because he is hired by the government to work in Vietnam. So he's... Mm -hmm. Everybody else is not allowed to be a superhero anymore, so they all go away. There was an original cast of superheroes. Kind of like that Incredibles thing. Like, I didn't ask to be saved! Yeah. (laughs) With an arm and a cast. It's like, oh. Yeah. So uh, these the heroes that we're talking about are Night Owl, Silk Spectre, whose mom was in the old group of superheroes, and so now she's the younger group. Mm. Night Owl is also the second Night Owl because there was an older guy that he took over from Dr. Manhattan, as I said before. Ozymandias, who is the smartest guy in the world, and he's kind of this Lex Luthor from Superman-esque character mm. who has all this money and power. and The and then, influencer. Exactly. And then the comedian, who's just kind of this thuggish character. <laughs> Everything's a joke. <laughs> yeah, that's his line. So Everything's a joke. A cigar. <laughs> Shooting people in Vietnam. So we find out that D- Dr. Manhattan has been giving people cancer. So he is like, I'm out. I don't care about humanity. Goes up to Mars. Like I said, he's this all-powerful kind of creature at this point. Not even really human. There's an attempt on Ozymandias's life. Some assassin. So... Rorschach is thinking, okay, all of this is true. There's somebody that's trying to kill off all these heroes. Rorschach goes to prison because somebody set him up to get caught. So now the Silk Spectre and the Night Owl get together, realize Rorschach is kind of right. They get him out of prison. Dr. Manhattan comes back to talk to the Silk Spectre and takes her away because... They're like, now also in the background, everything's on the brink of chaos, World War Three coming about. Yeah, they, they have this duality conversation of like, we have to talk about us, but we also have to talk about saving everything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a in big space. mess. Yeah. So they leave there in Mars. Uh, Night Owl and Rorschach try to figure out this mass killer. They realize that Ozymandias is the one who started it all, and he's been setting people up, and he's been orchestrating all of this for a larger scheme and they're like, he doesn't seem bad. Why would he try and create World War III and destroy the world? Mm-hmm. So they all confront him in his lair in Antarctica. And he reveals his scheme, which is to create a third party thing, this giant alien that he teleports in using Dr. Manhattan's powers. It explodes, kills half of New York. And so that way, there is a third weird alien neutral party and the Soviet Union and America will not be after each other because now there's this common enemy. And they're like, wait, you can't do that. And he's like, well, I already did it 35 minutes ago. And so then the next chapter is just the destruction of New York. What a crazy idea. I couldn't imagine needing anything like that in reality. (laughs) Yeah, just a giant alien squid monster (laughs) to bring you all together. Uh, no, I'm, what I mean is, is, like, I feel, and this is a going off, but just in this in this social political climate, I feel like we do need some uniting, mm-hmm. something to to bring us all together. And in this instance, and it does seem like in the real world, those things are always seem to be negative. So I'm wondering how we can get out of the place that we are without 
killing teleporting a, bunch of a giant squid monster into New York City to say, yeah, right. maybe the Russians aren't our enemy. Maybe just surviving is the idea, you know. Yeah. But you know, yeah. What? Back to the summary. That's that's <laughs> what they thought was the solution, or at least Ozymandias thought was the solution. So now he puts him in a checkmate because he's like, you can't reveal that I did this. Because then World War Three is going to happen because now they're going to know there it was, was a, a ruse setup. and then they'll be pissed and back to where we were. But now that we'll be pissed about it. Right. But I did something horrible. So deal with it. Rorschach, however, because he's dealing in black and white, he's like, no, I'm going to tell people. And so he leaves the Antarctic base. Dr. Manhattan kills him because he's like, you can't do that. Ozymandias asks the Dr. Manhattan because he's sort of this ethereal, all-seeing being. He's like, did I do the right thing in the end? Dr. Manhattan's like, there is no end. Peace is out to Mars, leaving hardly a resolution. At the end of the graphic novel, people are at peace, and this kid who's at a newspaper finds Rorschach's journal, and the editor is just like, ah, print whatever you want. It's a slow news day, Mm. implying the beginning meets the end, and what Dr. Manhattan was saying is like, what is... It's more about what is the right way of going about things as opposed to everybody just has a different philosophy, which we'll get into the right. into the topics of how do you approach these situations. Right. Um, so it's left as an open end. What becomes if they find out Rorschach's journal of everything that actually happened? Right. Does did that, it matter? Does that, yeah. 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 Or is it okay? So that's the plot. And so you have not seen the movie? I have. You have seen it A while movie. ago, yeah. Okay. okay. I didn't like it personally, yeah. but everybody... Has their own thing. Um, so, it's in, it's interesting because watching it, they really tried. Like, there's a lot of effort in this thing, mm-hmm. but it seems so massive the undertaking mm-hmm. that it would be impossible to actually live up to it. So I think that's where I see Zack Snyder really having the struggle of like, how can he use the medium of film Zack in Snyder the same is the way director. that yeah, he's the director of the film. How could he use the medium of film? On not the same way, but in a equivalent manner that Alan Moore used the format of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. That is where the real disconnect is, because generally, just people don't think that the going about it that manner, in that manner, that artistic, it's not equal. That people yeah. see what Alan Moore did, and they don't feel. Like you were using, like like Zack Snyder was using the medium of film to that same level. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was exactly looking for it to. You cannot tell it the way it was told in the comic book. That is the point. That's when Alan Moore has been famously screaming since the moment it was published. Yeah, it's hard to put two different mediums on the same pedestal and try and make them work without addressing the fact that this is a different way of telling a story. Right. One of the big differences between the graphic novel and the film throughout the movie is this subverted theme of him working on energy that then comes into play at the end. They're using the power of Dr. Manhattan to create these light energy anomalies in major cities all throughout the globe. And those anomalies incinerate any humans that, you know, they come in contact with. So it being all over the globe is supposed to be this unifying factor of like the two big forces coming together. So and blaming Dr. Manhattan this. for blaming it Dr. as opposed Manhattan. to exactly. some third party. Exactly. So he's like, yeah. man, at the end of Dark Knight, like, <laughs> I could be the hero they deserve. And then he rides off into the ether. Right. <laughs> so trying to hit home that world unif- unification. Versus just America versus the Soviet so Union. So it's like if it's yeah. just America... 
And one way it's like, well, why would the USSR care so much? Exact, but yeah, you know, I don't know, I don't know as much. But that's that the main side. difference between the book and the movie. Yeah, that that's the big, about. the big okay. one. My favorite part, an excerpt. So, for each chapter, the book is written in a different perspective of a different character. So, some of times it's Rorschach's journal. Sometimes it's from the first person perspective of Doctor Manhattan. Sometimes it's from various people. And there's also dialogue. So it's going to sound sort of weird. What's the, just the preface for where we're being dropped in? Yeah. So he's recounting the history of him becoming Dr. Manhattan mm -hmm. and the various relationships that are affected by that. It's 1959. Janie is handing me the glass. It's 1966 and she's packing, tearful, careless with anger. The photograph lies in the sand at my feet. It's 1969. I'm receiving news of my father's death. It's 1959. He's opening a telegram from the military informing him of his son's accidental disintegration. I never correct the mistake. In January 1971, President Nixon is asking me to intervene in Vietnam, while 10 years earlier, Kennedy is avoiding any mention of Cuba. The whole chapter, he kind of flips back and forth all over the place in time, mm -hmm. because that's his perspective of the world. Right. But if I were to read a different section from Rorschach, it's more cut and dry to the point kind of grungy right. night more owl's perspective yeah. is yeah. a bit more, you know. And you didn't see any of the pictures. That's what's crazy oh, is there's there's so much going on in all of these things. There's there's the narration, there's the text, there's the imagery that might be a counterpoint to the text. There's all the different ways that it's framed out on the page. That's just the nature of the medium. So this is a weird one to read a sample text of mm. because it is a graphic novel. Yeah, the format it's, is a very... Very it's hard to get across yeah. without seeing it. I would hold the book up to the microphone if it was a <laughs> camera, but there it is. All right, moving on. Uh, we're going to move into our main topics here. Uh, first topic is that smiley face you see all the time. Biggest question. What in the world is that? So it starts out at the beginning. It's the comedian's button. Mm -hmm. And then when he gets thrown out the window and murdered, it's his blood that's on there. And it, everything in this book is very symbolic or has an allegory or relates to something else. Mm -hmm. So then that symbol of the good and the bad, I guess you could say in a very generic sense, shows up later at the end when the kid who gets Rorschach's journal has a smiley face on his shirt and spills some ketchup on it. Oh, yeah. I think that shows up in the movie, it but it's that kind of like moral ambiguity different you know the, the themes in the book are about leadership and time and cycles and different worldviews. So the beginning and the end of the book have that symbol. So people see that all the time and they're like, what is that red splash? Mm. It's the blood of the comedian. It symbolizes his worldview of things, the good tinged with the bad. Sometimes you just have to laugh. There's a lot of symbolism in the book. One of the symbols is there's a whole subplot, which is lost in the movie, I believe, of mm. this pirate comic book. It's like a comic book within right. a comic book. There's a character in the story right, I've heard of that. sitting uh, on a yeah. newsstand that's reading this fake comic book called Tales of the Black Freighter. And it shows up because it's a entire the whole story that's threading through with the pirate is a symbol or an allegory for what Ozymandias, the main guy that ends up committing the dastardly deed and destroying half of New York. That's what this pirate is going through in this book. It becomes a meta-narrative because Ozymandias abducts the artist and the creator of the fake pirate comic book to create this squid monster. Uh, <laughs> so it kind of weaves itself right. in the story, within the story, within the story. It's very confusing. But the, all of that, that's why the book gets so much praise and has so much criticism and dissection is because there are all of these symbols. And It's pretty, it's like 
deceivingly complex. Yeah. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, in an interview, they were like, yeah, we started writing it. And then once we got through it, we realized all of these other places that we could put stuff in. Mm. So they, they found these ways to integrate all these different things. That's but awesome. yeah, the book has a ton of symbolism, but that's what the smiley face you see all the time is about. I have one. I have a button. I have one of them. One they probably the sold so many. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Because when I first saw it, I was like, what is this, Walmart? Or it's what everywhere. is it? Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? I remember when the DVD for the movie was coming out and, like, release parties. And, like, that's, like, the basic minimum swag that they're just throwing to mass crowds. Yeah. <laughs> the button. So, topic number two, unfilmable. Alan Moore is quoted as saying, if we only see comics in relation to movies then the best they'll ever be are films that don't move. Which is shots fired. Shots fired for sure, but I just think that's missing the forest for the trees because the important thing here is the story, and that story is filmable. Right. Uh, but I think it, he was saying he's he's we're talking much about big the in the comics and the, and the manner media. in which it was translated and, and really adapted. The, he said this is less for him was less about the story and more about the way of telling. It's a comic about comic books. There's this pirate comic in the comic book, the way that, that it's set up, the style choices they used. Mm-hmm. So it's set up in a nine panel layout, three rows, three columns. They don't deviate from that, whereas other comics, they try to mess with the the gutters, which is the space in between the panels, and sometimes they're long, and sometimes it's a circle, and sometimes there's words flying out of the page and all this other stuff. They don't mess with that except for very specific instances. So, for example, there's book five. It's called Fateful Symmetry. has to do with Rorschach's backstory. It is a perfectly symmetrical comic, meaning the middle pages line up and then filtering out. That way. So if you flip from the front page to the last page, they'd be mirrored in terms of what's going on in each panel. That's pretty nuts. In each of the pages, all the way down to the middle. Yeah. The color palette, traditional comic books were the red, blue, yellow for printing, or those are just the primary colors. That's what you base colors off of. Most of their comic is the purple, green, and orange, which gives it this very strange feel. They, of course, use the other colors, but if it's a red, panel it's all red and it's like this is very well, and important the, but the, that's when they use primary for really specific reasons so it does jump out at you yeah and the totally color different. is the, yeah. yeah the cover is bright yellow drawing your attention <laughs> too much <laughs> um i think we totally are we're getting our hands on cinema as a medium to where like we can are figuring out what makes a movie a movie so well now mm-hmm. we can translate that format to a Let's different see, way. Let's see, because you said, HBO, be a movie you about said HBO is coming out with something right. this year? I, it all depends. Yeah, it's supposed to be this That'll year. That'll be interesting. But it all depends on who the filmmaker is. It's like, not every filmmaker can tell a story like that. It takes a very, it, it, you know, it. Zack yeah. Snyder ain't the guy. He can tell <laughs> that story. And I think he successfully told that story in its beats. I think he does get the emotion, like we said, but it's not constructed in a way that is equivalent to how they use the medium in like the graphic a, this novel. This is a literary... It is not a meditative piece. It is yeah. not a thinking back and showing you subliminal images. Like, that would be what Watchmen would be Yeah. on a movie. Unfilmable? Unfilmable. I, Perhaps. I, 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 Contentious. Mate, unfilmable pertaining to the, definitions the format, the, but that yeah. is not... Yeah. It, it, translate. You have to use the properties of the medium. Who knows? We'll find out. Topic number three. What? No ads? At the end of the book, of each chapter of the book and of each issue when it was a 12-part series, there are these excerpts of various supplemental material to 
enrich the world, such as the bio autobiography of the first night owl going into the backstory of the original Minutemen, a selection from a textbook about Dr. Manhattan, some case files when Rorschach gets arrested, um, a review of the comic book about the Black Freighter, notes from the desk of Ozymandias, all of this great stuff. Wow. And I looked it up, and the reason is because they couldn't sell ads. Normally, there's all these ads in the back nine pages, but DC couldn't sell ads, so they were going to have a big letter-writing section. But then the editor was worried because it would do a disservice if people wrote in letters for the last four. So they just put in all this extra supplemental material. That just enriches. And it's so good. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was wondering about that because I knew then I mentioned earlier the, the, the Rorschach's journal, but I wasn't I knew that uh, at the ends of these issues, there were these supplemental materials that yeah. do add to it. But I wasn't sure what you know, I didn't know what they were. Yeah, and, they're and, all over. Yeah, uh, you get that feel. From mm-hmm. the movie, and certainly the opening of the film, uh, it definitely Does has. It you feel the the history of mm-hmm. it. It feels like these are worn people, and so it it was interest. It's interesting that that tactile nature did translate in some way to to the film. Like yeah. you you talking about it, like and, and and me having seen now the images in the in the novel and seen the movie. It's like it seems to like in some ways all. In just enrich the same story in my yeah. mind, not viewing it so separately of just like the film, the graphic novel, the every, you know, it's all creating the idea of this one story in my mind, not necessarily a, yeah. a separate thing. Imagine anything in your hands, your phone, the magazine, book, whatever it is, imagine looking through it and no one selling you anything. It's just no sponsor. what you came there for. And that's it. Yeah. I want to live in that world again. <laughs> we'll get the graphic novel. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Topic number four, super philosophy. The characters in this book and a lot of what these college courses are all about is the different ways that they go about interpreting the world. I'll just run through kind of what they are and what they represent in the world. And I don't know that much about philosophy, so I'm going to destroy any of this. If you have a philosophy major, you're going to be crushing your glass in your hand <laughs> send us a picture of your bloody fist <laughs> ah, he said it wrong illiterate at email.com so rorschach black and white deontological is duty the means justify the end mm. doing it because it's the right thing barring the consequence black and white mm-hmm. which is why he's like people have to know that ozymandias did this it's the truth it's the truth. I find it's my job on that crusade constantly <laughs> and like and 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 ask myself that question of like does it matter? Yeah. Ozymandias, utilitarian. The end justifies the means. Giant squid killing people for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan, determinism. Everything's faded. He can see time in all directions. Yeah. There's no point because it's going around what in a circle. Kind of <laughs> pretentious it, all time is all at once you can have no effect it's like every time he's talking it's like as if he's just got like this little tear just trembling on the edge of his of his eye of his eyelid he's no longer human yeah, in the he's, book. yeah. he's just it's you know it's it, everything and nothing all at the same time it's it's it, what an infuriating, like, I, I feel so much for S- Silk Spectre yeah. in that moment of just trying to reason <laughs> with this 
inhuman Un- human. just unrelenting yeah. force of and this is a genuine truth. way to think about things is that everything is predestined but these characters because they are characters in a story take it to the extreme so that we can see it right comedian nihilism everything's screwed so just laugh at it who cares <laughs> gravelly voice cigarette we're all gonna be dead soon anyway so he doesn't really see himself as different than anybody else. He's just being more honest. And that's where Ozymandias gets his idea. He says in the, is in one of their meetings where the comedian's like, hey, this is the way the world is. And Ozymandias is like, well, if I'm the smartest guy in the world, what can I do? Right. I have to do something. And so then you need the people who are big picture and then you need the people who are details focused. Like you mm-hmm. need, you need Ozymandias to have that big picture, to know the end goal, to know what is the greater good. And you at the very same time simultaneously need Rorschach going, the details matter. Cause he's the boots on the ground. Matters. He's yeah. killing the, or... and they're both right. And they're both wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. There's also two other characters. Night Owl, which is virtue ethics, the kind of classic superhero. I'm doing it because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. Silk Spectre, ethics of care, how it affects other people. I'm not as familiar with that, but it is a slight variation. I think me and her could do some talking. <laughs> about what does this affect them people? How you affect people. That's what she's concerned about. So all of those swirling mm-hmm. around in this book, all their backstories, all of the different philosophies, all of the ways of going about it. And in the end... Who knows? There is no writer at the end saying this is definitely how superheroes or how leadership should be implemented. Or one thing is the intertangledness. So, like Silk Spectre has the whole history with her mother and the comedian. That in itself could be a graphic novel. You know, like that could yeah. be its own standalone piece. But then she's uh, also in just... a relationship with Doctor Manhattan and double and two timing him with Night Owl. Yeah. On the side. Like, that's what's going on here. And But, like, that's not even the focus. Like, get that out. You know, like, that we're talking about, you know, humanity and saving, you know, the world. Yeah. Um, and but new, at the geopolitical, same time, all everything is in there. It's, at the it's same time, wild. we're talking about who's with who and, and insecurity of, like, I'm not good enough, being locked out of things, all, the, all of that. Mm-hmm. Topic number five. Alan Moore? More like Alan Less. <laughs> so Alan Moore is the writer of this. I'm still a little fuzzy of, of Dave Gibbons' influence on the narrative. I none. know he none. has none whatsoever. No. So Alan Moore definitely has everything. Everything, everything. shows up. Here's the story. There's only one situation. Okay. Ozymandias' monologue about how he did it all. Dave Gibbons was like, this is too long. I can't fit all of this text in the panels. <laughs> and so Alan Moore's like, cool, I'll cut it out. But oh, okay, everything chill. else. <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Yes, four hundred pages. Everything else, Alan changes Moore, the medium. Send him the script. Note. Yeah, <laughs> this is where his negative energy, I feel like, towards the whole thing comes about, is because according to him and the contract, DC basically the way that he explained it is they get a percentage, and then in his contract over a certain time, if the characters are not being utilized or whatever, then they get the copyright back because it was a work for hire situation. But he soon realized that DC was never going to stop making stuff. Right. So he's not getting that property back. And so that's where he has the resentment towards, oh, they're making this movie and they're doing this stuff. And they have a prequel series. Right. And they have a sequel series. And they have a video and game. None and, of, and they have all this stuff. A motion comic. And none a... of this stuff has any of his... Dave Gibbons is not as precious about it. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. But... <laughs> 
They asked Neat. Alan Moore in 2010, they offered him the rights back if he would help with the prequel and sequel stuff. And he was like, if you had asked me this 20 years ago, maybe I would have been interested in making it oh, a thing. Man. But now that you've already it's been 20 done years, all this crap. Like, you put me through this. I've been talking about this this whole time. It's not like Alan Moore has been quiet about any no. of this. So... So this comes out in 80, in 85, 86, 86, uh, 86 87. Yeah. Well, uh, guess what? Batman, uh, the first Batman movie, the, you know, there was the sixties comic book mm -hmm. ones, which weren't really Batman, but the first Tim Burton Batman comes out in 1989, which is dark. Right. Uh, you, I don't think that happens without Watchmen. For sure. Um, so it, it's, and, and guess who's behind that? Warner brothers. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just, it is painful the short-sightedness of these studios because they do not understand who Alan Moore is going to be in history. Yeah. One little thing I found was that Vincent Conair was heavily inspired by this book and came up with the beloved font Comic Sans from the style in this book. <laughs> Comic Sans was inspired by Watchmen. Oh my God. Wow. So that's one, some might say yeah, a negative how, influence, well, but a positive. Sure. But then uh, again, just saying how vast the influence is. Yeah. I mean. So even though Alan Moore is Alan Less, there's. Influence and fonts. Look. And it's something that we, now it's a meme. It's a joke, <laughs> you know, and it has been for 20 years. So it's, it's that, that is how deep this has permeated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the five ways to make you sound cooler at parties. We're going to break them open. Cracking them open like an egg, Taylor. Topic number one. Mm. That smiley face you see all the time. I do see it a lot. It is. the So we also talked about symbolism. Oh, And right. how there's all these different symbols and how it stands for something else. Well, okay, then. So I wear a lot of buttons. Uh, like I have a button collection. Mm -hmm. and And usually... Those buttons are pretty specific. They mean something to me. It's a piece of media I like for a specific reason. Like I'm adorning myself mm -hmm. with some, you know, I, it's, I'm saying it's of me, uh, you know. So how do you, and how do you in conversation flip that about what that symbolizes? I yeah. Suppose? What's the, what's the step into it? Um, you know, we wear things because we want to have that conversation to a degree. You know, we want to, and we want to find the people who either see it the same way so yeah. you can meet those people and have that conversation or meet the people who have no idea right. but are interested and want that point of so view. So maybe have that mindset in mind, like with the button, realizing, oh, that symbolizes some good and there, bad yeah. going into a situation instead of just commenting, love that blouse. Right. It's be not thinking just a, about what does that mean to that right, person? What not, is it actually symbolizing in their life? Exactly. It might not just be just an aesthetic thing, you know, toy jewelry. Like odds are somebody put thought into it. So there's certainly a story there. Yeah. Topic dose. Unfilmable. This, you said there's an HBO series that's supposed to be coming out this year. Yes. And so you can talk about the lineage of this thing that is supposedly impossible to be replicated in a different medium because it's about right. the fact that right, it's right, a right. graphic novel. And what people mean when they say that and how that might be part of the problem, as in it's the... Yeah. The, the format is unfilmable. The story is not. So we're going to see. but And it's also HBO and they don't play around. Right. right. So that's something to talk about it. is the fact that <laughs> this is going to be coming out. <laughs> Will it be? Yeah, you're going to see it. You're going to see people wearing the button. You're going to see the billboards and stuff. So this is going to come up. You'll be more aware of what the criticism actually is. Yeah. Cool. Topic number three. What? No ads. No ads. In the back of this book, 
they didn't put ads. They didn't put extra material that has nothing to do with what's going on just to promote something else. It's a wild idea. They added more supplemental material, went deeper into what this story was about. If you're at a party and you have some story that you're telling, don't tag ads on the end of it. Right. Don't self-promote. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, make yeah. it sound cooler than it was. <laughs> Instead, go deeper. Yeah. Maybe be a bit more vulnerable. Be a bit more personable. Maybe. Yeah. 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 That I, kind of thing. They, they, you know, uh, the details, like, don't keep it so surface. If you got the, if you got the end and you're talking, be, you know, keep going down that path. Be more real. Yeah. In, in to a degree. See what happens. You know, see if that works. We're not experts, but, <laughs> you know, but it is. Blame Alan Moore. <laughs> uh, send all complaints to Alan Moore at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. So for topic number four, super philosophy, leadership is a huge topic of conversation nowadays, not only in business jobs. People don't like their managers. Right. People don't like political leaders. People don't like their parents. Whatever right. it might be. This book addresses that. It's a ginger rolls. This it's in there too. You know, all of it. Yeah. The word watchman comes from, and it's the final quote at the end of the book, who watches the watchman in Latin, which I can't pronounce, mm -hmm. but it's who watches the watchman, but it's from a Greek poet named Juvenal, but it's quoted under the Tower Commission report from the Iran-Contra affair. So in Appendix B of that, which is what Reagan asked for. Oh, what? This from, has got yeah. crazy real. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's where Alan Moore quoted it from, who watches The Watchmen, because for whatever reason, that was in as this philosophical thing based on the Iran-Contra affair and the government giving them arms and all of that stuff. I've been making jokes this whole time about this being, you know, how this couldn't be further from, top, you know, relevant and topical, but this is just even further than I had even realized that this is exactly that's what was happening at the time. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge scandal and the way to go about getting around it, uh, to resolve it, what in whatever manner that was going to be, was a huge problem for and the what United leaders States government. Are, yeah. What leaders, what I is mean, their responsibility? I had no idea that Iran Contra was in, was involved in the genesis of this. So that's mm -hmm. actually just open up a whole new avenues for me right now, Taylor. <laughs> Well, that's the philosophy. So this is not just about superheroes. It has applied to yeah. real things. And that's where the title comes from, is that quote. Wow. That is from I did not know that. Ancient, that's awesome. It's from an ancient Greek poem. And then it's also in the Tower Commission report that oh, Reagan instituted. Yeah. God. Super philosophy. Comic books, real life, everywhere. Everywhere. So topic five, Alan Moore. <laughs> More like Alan Les. In spite of all of his qualms about the whole situation and yeah, that he's, he's not, not getting credit enough. and yeah. he doesn't like the things and the reproductions of his work, all of that stuff fading into obscurity. He still is unable to really rein in his impact on popular culture. Because of Comic Sans. <laughs> and the guy who created Comic Sans specifically said Watchmen was the influence so if you're out and about anything, any logo, yeah. any font, any... If you've seen Comic Sans, any or just font letters in general, if any kind of design question or, you know, like conversation. This is the reason Anything for like that. that. Yeah. yeah. We did it. That was a blast. Watchmen. I definitely learned a lot on this, even though I knew a lot about it to begin with. Which um, I'm glad, because yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the... Uh, my biggest takeaway that it is in Times 100 best novels of all time. So I'm like, yes, yes, it, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's good. 
this is this is part of history. This, like I said, we're going to be pointing back at this to be like something changed here. I'm glad we talked about it. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, that email is illiterate at email.com. That's where we're going to have all of our all Bonus of our giveaways, stuff, extra reading, uh, and it's going to give you links to all of our other social ways to get in contact with us. Shoot us an email. Let us know what you think. Send us, send us a picture of that bloody fist where you smashed the... What was it? <laughs> I forget why you'd be mad, but philosophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No! <laughs> um, but yeah, shoot us an email. Shoot us something. Talk to us. Uh, thanks for listening. Peace. Peace, guys.